again, I, uh, I sat, Philip told me earlier in the week, uh, after practice, they, they do practice on Wednesday night. He called me on Wednesday night. He said, you're not ready for it. I said, man, I said, I'm good. I said, this will be fine. He said, nah, man. He said, you are not ready for it. And so we talked a few times this week and even yesterday on our staff group text, which I hope none of you ever see. But anyway, on our staff group text, <laughs> Philip even said, you're not ready for it. And I was like, I, what's he, like what? And then when I got here and, and saw it and run through, like when it was done, I was like, he was right. I wasn't ready for that. That was, um, I was drying my eyes and everything. I cry at stuff. Like, I cry, I cry all the time. Anyway, super glad that you're here today. I wanted to start off because... For years, you've heard that, that the church should not be involved in politics, so I want to start off today by talking about politics. Um, and, and, and this is an easy one. This is an easy, like, like hopefully, now let me pause. There are people in our country today that get offended at everything. So if that's you, I just want to go ahead and tell you, you're, you're going to get offended at some point, but if you get offended here, dear God. Anyway, who was the, who's the first president? that you remember actually being president. Now, who was president when you were born? Because when I was born, Richard Nixon was president, okay? I don't remember him. I've seen pictures of him doing this thing right here, but that's all I've seen. The first president I remember was Jimmy Carter. Um, and, and the first presidential election I remember was the Carter-Reagan election. That's the first presidential election I, I remember. Now, I'm just kind of curious, how many people, the first president you actually remember him being president was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter people. Jimmy, I'm not saying you voted for him. I'm just saying you remember him being president. How many people Ronald Reagan was the first president you remember? Okay, well, get a little, old, little younger than that. Okay, how many people, it was uh, George Bush, the first one, that's the first president you remember? Okay, few. How many Bill Clinton was the first president you remember? Yeah, okay. How, how many uh, George W. Bush was the first president you remember? Okay. How many Barack Obama was the first president you remember? Okay. Okay, and then if... If Donald Trump was the first president you remember, you should be in SC Kids. So, <laughs> just saying. Okay, let's go back. And then let's go back. I want to be, how many people, um, Gerald Ford was the per first president? Gerald Ford? Okay, how about Nixon, first president? Uh, Johnson? Lyndon Johnson? Ke okay. <laughs> Kennedy? Kennedy, first president you remember? Okay, okay. Eisenhower? Okay, yeah. Truman? Roosevelt? Anybody? Roosevelt? Okay. Lincoln? I'm trying to get everybody in, okay? I'm just trying to be inclusive, all right? Um, it's, it's so funny to, in, in the world that, that the president, no matter if they're Republican or Democrat, has always been, especially in the age of social media, a very polarizing figure. In fact, the more prominent social media has become, I think the more divided our country has gotten. Now, I love social media. I really do because it gives everybody a voice. Unfortunately, it also gives a voice to the village idiot. And so that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. I think we would all agree on that. And so for years, and let me just kind of get this out of the way, for years there's been people that have said that the church and politics should remain separate. Like the church should talk about church stuff. So on Sundays we should come in here and talk about things like the Shekinah glory, the measurements of the Ark of the Covenant, the trichotomy and dichotomy of the spirit and the peccability and impeccability of Christ because those are things that have been burning on our hearts all week long. <laughs> but things like gun control, 
pro-choice and pro-life and racial tensions. Like the church shouldn't speak about that because that's something, and, and it blows my mind when you get into the scriptures, how much the scriptures actually have to say about our lives. And as Christians, I don't think Sunday or any day should be a day that where we put our head in the sands. In fact, I think as a Christian, not only do we have the right to speak, but we have the moral obligation to share the gospel in every venue that we're in. So for years, I was one of those people, and I want you to hear this. I was one of those people that said the church shouldn't be political, the church shouldn't be political, the church shouldn't be political. And, and, and over the past year or two, I've changed my stance on this, and let me tell you why. When I used to say the church shouldn't be political or we shouldn't say things like I'm going to talk about today, it was out of fear. It was out of fear of man. Because you can't talk about the stuff I'm going to talk about today and not piss somebody off. I did it last service and didn't mean to. That the person didn't even hear what I said. In fact, it's amazing to me what gets reported to me what I said that I never said. So, so I, know, I knew somebody was always going to get offended. And so it was fear of man that kept me away from that subject for over 30 years. But listen, just like me, once you've already been canceled, you don't care about getting canceled anymore. So I got over the desire for everybody's approval. You know what? I got a wife that loves me. I got a dog that loves me. And her dog kind of likes me. So that I am good. I am, I am great. Now, this is where some people want to step up and they go, well, what about separation of church and state? Great question. I'll make you a deal. If you can find the phrase separation of church and state, in our United States Constitution, I will give you $1,000 cash because I got $50 million, so I'll give you 1000 <laughs> The phrase separation of church and state does not appear in the United States Constitution. The first time it appears in any, any literature is in 1802. It was written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut, and it wasn't trying to figure out how to keep the church out of the state, it was written to try to figure out how to keep the state out of the church. Hypothetically, um, let's say that uh, a global pandemic happened and governing officials tried to tell the churches they could not be open. Just something like that. Okay, see, y'all feel that? Y'all feel the tension? Don't worry. It's going to get so much better. So, so, so the whole ch separation of church and state thing is not actually a thing. And this is, people push back, well there's, well, there's not politics in the Bible. Really? Because if we're going to remove politics of the Bible, from the Bible, then we got to remove the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph, the coat of many colors? Okay, he rose to prominence in Egypt and basically came, became the vice president and put together an economic system that saved the country. We're going to have to take Moses out of the Bible. Because Moses interacted with Pharaoh, which was a political interaction, and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and that was a governance system, how to set up the nation of Israel, so we're going to have to take that out of the Bible. We're going to have to take the story of Daniel out of the Bible. We're going to have to take, um, we're going to have to take Esther out of the Bible. We're going to, yeah, I agree, no. We're going to take Nehemiah. We're going to take Isaiah and Jeremiah because they advised kings. We're going to have to take them out of the Bible, and this is where, this is my, this is my favorite. People go, 
what about Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus was so political and we don't even see it. He never said anything about the Roman Empire. Well, that's, he didn't say much, really. But the Roman Empire that was in control of the world when Jesus was born and when he lived, they pretty much let certain areas govern themselves as long as they behave themselves. Well, during this period of time, Israel was behaving themselves. Now, there were basically two main political parties in the nation of Israel when Jesus was born and he lived. And the names of the political parties were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, this is where some people push back and go, no, 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 they were, they, they were religious. No, they were political. They, they governed by the first five. See, they didn't separate church and state at all. They were put, and how much interaction did Jesus have with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And in, in fact, he, was, he went off on them a lot. And so the reason we're talking about this today is not because I'm not going to endorse a candidate. I've never, I, I actually never have done that. I'm not going to endorse a party. I never actually have done that. I am going to talk about some of the things that I believe and I do not believe. But the reason I think I want to talk about this today is because I've never seen our nation as divided as we are right now. And I don't think it's necessary. And, and my problem isn't that the nation is divided. My, my problem is, is the church has begun to adapt political ideas. And I'm seeing politics not only divide the nation, but divide the church. And I don't think at the end of the day, we're supposed to be divided on this stuff. And the reason I don't think we're supposed to be divided on this stuff is because of something that Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Well, check this out. Now, and I talk about, I love these verses because these verses, I've been wrapping my, trying to wrap my mind around these verses over the past three or four years. I'm not there yet, but I'm trying to do what Jesus said here. Jesus is hanging out with the apostles the night before he's crucified. And this is what he said. This is what he said. So now I am giving you a new commandment. And when he said that, they were like, okay, great. We got like 619 of these things, and he's giving us another one. So, okay, write this down. Here we go. We'll add to the list. But basically what he was saying is this is the most important one. He said it in, in other places. He said, love each other. Okay. I mean, I guess we could do that sometimes. Because aren't there some people in your life that are hard to love? You don't have to point. Just, yeah, I mean, you just, they just... <laughs> Hard to love. Now, I love the fact that he goes on to define this because you can define love different than me and you can define love different than her. And, then, and you know, he said, just as I have loved you. Oh. Oh, well, that, that makes it a little tougher, doesn't it? Just as I have loved you. Say, how did he love us? Consistently, unconditionally. You know, that kind of stuff. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Then he said this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What did he say would prove to the world were his disciples? Our love. Not the bumper stickers on the back of our car. Not who we voted for. 
By the way, it, it's, it's, he said your love for one another should bring you together. And this is what I know, and I'll get back to this later on in the message, but I want to go ahead and get this out right now. If you're on the far right politically, I didn't say right, I said far right. Or you're on the far left politically, I didn't say left, I said far left. Here's what I know. You did not follow Jesus there. Because those places are so divisive. There is no love on the far right and on the far left. It's not a place where Jesus called his followers to be. Oh, I feel, I feel the tension. I feel it. Oh, wait. It gets better, I promise. Here we go. So there's four things we got to wrap our mind around when it comes to politics and church and Jesus, religion, all this other stuff. Four things. Number one, our mentality. Our mentality. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples. In other words, they'll know you belong to me. Some, one of the questions I've been getting asked lately, and I don't just want to go ahead and get the answer out. People have asked me, hey, Pastor P, how's married life? Married life is awesome. I love it. Oh, you a newlywed? Yeah, you're right. I love it. I love it. Shannon is, is beautiful. She's awesome. She's sweet. I mean, I just, I love, but, 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 it's, but it's been an adjustment. <laughs> I had to switch my mentality. Because before we got married, she had a condo. And I had a house. We agreed that we, she would move from her condo to, to, to my house. It, it was my house. <laughs> and it was because it was my house, I had things set up like I liked. Like I had piles in my kitchen. Now, if you walked in my kitchen, it looked like a bomb went off. But it wasn't a bomb. I mean, it was like I had a bill pile and I had a work pile and I had a personal pile. And I had a something's in that pile and I don't know what it is, but I know where everything is. And I had, it looked like a bomb went off in my pantry. I just kind of threw stuff in there, but I knew what it was. And then I would go grocery shopping for me because I bought things for me. So I would buy me some Cliff Bars. I didn't know how many Cliff Bars I ate. I actually ordered those on Amazon. But I ordered and I bought me some Gatorade Zeros because I knew how much Gatorade I drank during the week. It was my house and my stuff. And then she, she moved in and, and um, well, my kitchen looks different now. I came in one day and the piles were gone. I was like, hey, boo. Um, first of all, I love you, but like, what? Uh, she said, oh, I cleaned up. I said, uh-huh. I said, uh, she said, well, you said I could. I said, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think, I mean, I thought we were going to do this gradually. I didn't think it was going to go like this. And and, and listen, she was in the last service, and so I said it there. I said, it's okay now. It's okay. My kitchen is way better, way better. You can actually find stuff. You would actually eat in my kitchen now, as opposed to before. You'd be like, I don't know, man. I think we need to hop down the road to McDonald's. And when McDonald's is cleaner than your kitchen, dear God. So, I mean, I mean I'm, it's better. But I, I had to go through in a period of, an, of adjustment because she came in and she just changed everything. Now, she changed it for the better. But it was still a change. Oh, I'll tell you the morning it got really rough is the morning she stepped out of the pantry. I walked in the kitchen. She stepped out of the pantry. She's eating one of my Cliff Bars. And we had not discussed this. And it was my favorite flavor. 
and I, and I was okay with it until she reached into the refrigerator and pulled out one of my Gatorades. It's my Gatorade. I bought that Gatorade for me. She's drinking my Gatorade. She's eating my Cliff Bar. And I was about ready to say something, but before I did, the Holy Spirit <laughs> kind of did that little. <clears throat> I, was, I, and I, I could tell you where I stand. He's like, You sure you want to go down that road? Because <laughs> if you go, you're going along. <laughs> She looked at me. She said, is everything okay, baby? I was like, oh, boo, I love you so much. <laughs> but but it, everything changed. It's not mine now. It's hers. She didn't, I, she didn't come into my life to be just for my convenience. She's now a part of my life. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross and raise from the dead and give us the Holy Spirit so he could come in and be a subsection of our life. Jesus came into our lives because he wants to change everything. And just like my kitchen is better, the more we surrender to Jesus, the better things get. I didn't say easier, but I did say better. Jesus does not want to be a component of our life. He died on the cross so he could be our life. That includes who we date, who we marry, how we spend our money, and how we vote. I've met people, I didn't take Jesus with me into the voting booth. Well, there's your first mistake. First of all, by the way, you're never taking Jesus anywhere. He's taking you, all right? Jesus, Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Jesus used a bacon illustration. And anytime Jesus uses food illustrations, I lean in because I love some food. He said this. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. How much of our life does Jesus Christ want to permeate every part? So if, 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 if you keep Jesus and politics separate, then my real question isn't what are you doing politically? It's what are you doing with Jesus? It's going to get way more tense. Hope you already, this next section is fun. Third section will get tense. This next section is fun. Here we go. Number two, our identity. Our identity. Who do we identify? How do we identify? Now, I went to a Clemson game years ago. Years ago. Got to stand on the sideline and watch this particular game. It was awesome. It was a back and forth battle. It was, a, it was against Florida State. And Clemson had to punt. Florida State was driving down the field. Clemson had to stop them on fourth down. Now, if Clemson stopped them, Florida State was out of timeouts. Clemson wins the game. But if, if Florida State gets the first down, then they're pretty much going to go on and score. So it, it came down to one play. I'm standing on the 30-yard line watching it. And it was happening down here on this end, so I'm kind of standing like this. Now, I'm standing right here, and I'm obviously a Clemson fan. You cannot mistake that I had on a Clemson shirt. I had on Clemson hat, I had on Clemson shoes, I had on Clemson socks. I was, I was decked out in Clemson. About halfway through the fourth quarter, a man comes and stands next to me. I don't know who this man is. 
I don't know his name. Here's what I know. He was black. I was white. There is no mistake in the fact that I'm white. I am white. Okay? I, I, like the great theologian Wesley Snipes said, white men can't jump. That's me. I can't jump. He was black, and I think he was a former player because his muscles were like, I, he could have broke me in half. But he was a Clemson fan. How'd I know? He owned a Clemson shirt, Clemson hat, and Clemson shoes. All that looked better than mine. It just, I was a little jealous of his Clemson shirt because I remember his shirt that day. Now, I'm white. What color did I say he was? Black, good, good. Some of you are like, you, gonna, you about to talk about race? Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about race. <laughs> so I'm watching this play like this, this fourth down. And I look, and he's standing the exact same way. He's actually in my way. <laughs> but I wasn't going to tell him to move because he's bigger than me, so I kind of stepped around and thought, look. Clemson stopped Florida State on that play. When Clemson stopped Florida State, he turned and looked at me. And I looked at him, and we gave each other the biggest hug I've ever received from another man. <laughs> it wasn't like the bro hug. You know what the bro hug is? is when you step in, you got one arm, you kind of do the hit. It was a full frontal, all right? And, and, and hit his, like a full frontal assault because this guy, he just like picked me up, bear hugged me. We screamed. We celebrated. We danced. I mean, it was awesome. Here's the deal. I didn't, I don't know his name. I don't know what his political situation is. I don't know what his personal situation is. Here's what I know. He had on a Clemson shirt. I had on a Clemson shirt. So we were pulling for the same team, and we were celebrating an event that happened on the football field. And that event, pulling for the same team, brought us together. Now, that can happen at a football game. How much more so should a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb and the Holy Spirit of God bring people together rather than drive them apart? Revelation chapter 7 says people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. So our identity should be in the fact that we are followers of Jesus. I didn't say this last service because it's not that I was scared as so I forgot. You always get the bonus stuff. See, if you say you're a white Christian then you just emphasized white and de-emphasized Christian. Shame on you. I'm a Republican Christian. Well, you just emphasized Republican and de-emphasized Anything you put in front of Christian emphasizes that and diminishes Christian. For me, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I want Jesus to be number one in my life. I don't always get it right. But my identity is not in my political party. and It's not in my personal beliefs. It's in the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. I love what Peter said. Peter is writing a letter to the church. And you know, the church back in the day had all kinds of, of people in it, Jewish people, uh, Gentile people, 
people from Asia, people from Africa, people from, and today we have people from all over the world. And this is what Peter says to the church. And this is for people that want to make race a big deal. This is what Peter says to the church. But you are a chosen race. What race are you talking about? The human race. Jesus is, say, or Jesus is saying through Peter, you're a chosen race. He didn't say you're chosen races. We're, we're in this together. We're on the same team. We worship the same Jesus. We're going to the same heaven. And if you're here today and you're racist and you make it to heaven, I hope he puts your house right beside somebody of another race so you will have to spend eternity worshiping with them. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we have in common. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. If you're a Christian, we've been called out of darkness into light, and that's where we find our identity, in the fact that we belong to Jesus. Therefore, we're on the same team. Which leads to number three, our attitude. This right here, wait, this is like the warning. This is the trigger warning. This is where it's going to get tense. I was at an event one time, and a speaker came out. And you know, you go to events, you hear speakers. But I never will forget the speaker said, I don't remember anything else he said because I got mad when he said this. But it was true. I, I, I've been mad ever since. But he's right. He said, when it comes to your attitude, you are ridiculously in charge. Now, I like that. I like to blame my attitude on the weather. I like to blame my attitude on you. I like to blame my attitude on traffic. But it don't work that way, does it? I met a guy one time. Have you ever met somebody that just loves Jesus so much that you, you, you're like, you, you're like, do I, am I saved? I went to Kenya one time. Some of you have heard me talk about this. And, and a, a guy that drove um, me and my group around, his name was Samson. And, and, and every time I got in the car, he had this humongous smile on his face. And I thought, maybe he did drugs because you don't smile that much. You're not that happy. <laughs> and it's the first time I met him. He goes, Pastor Noble, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And he was like that every day. So, so I'm, I just asked him one day, I was like, Samson, why are you so happy? He said, it is Jesus in me, Pastor Noble. <laughs> just Jesus? <laughs> like, Samson, come on, you put something in your coffee? <laughs> you can tell me, Samson, I understand. He said, no, it's Jesus and me. I'm so happy. I, and we started talking. He's like, I travel the I get to travel and preach and tell people about Jesus. And I said, oh, have you ever, have you ever been, like, persecuted? For, I go, oh, yes, many times. <laughs> he pulls his pants leg up, and he shows me this hole on this side of his leg and this side of his leg and then this side of his leg and this side of his leg. He said, you see this? I said, yeah. He goes, this is where I'm in Saudi Arabia. They drill a hole through my legs and hang me upside down with a bar and beat me to try to get me to renounce the name of my Savior. 
was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> he said, that's my, that's my persecution, Pastor Noble. Have you been persecuted? I said, well, I mean, is this guy on Twitter? <laughs> where do you get this joy from? Well, where, where is this? There's, so, there's just Jesus lives in him. And it, it comes down to the fact that we've got to have this attitude. Jesus said this. Let's, let's go back to these words again. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not your political beliefs, but your love. Do you know I love people that don't believe the same thing I believe? <laughs> so let's just, let's just do it. Let's do it. I'm pro-life. I make no apologies for it. I've never voted for a pro-choice candidate in my entire life, and I never will. I believe life begins at conception, and I don't want to argue about it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to argue about it because I don't understand how you can call bacteria on Mars life, but you can say a baby who has a heartbeat in the womb is a fetus. I don't get it. But I got some really incredible friends that are pro-choice. Some, some of my best friends actually are pro-choice. How could you have a pro-choice friend? Because I don't draw the line at pro-life, pro-choice. I draw the line at, at do we, is Jesus living our heart? See, I'm not, as, I'm, not, I'm not scared to tell you what I believe. Because at the end of the day, my heart is to love people. But I don't think loving people, listen, and let me flip it on the, on, let me flip the script. While I'm pro-life, I've had people say, you want to go protest an abortion clinic with me? No. No, I don't. I have no desire to do that because I've, I've talked to women who have had abortions who have said, as they're walking in, people are screaming and yelling and condemning them, murderer, you're a murderer, you're a murderer. Let me tell you something, Jesus is not there. And if you're in this room and you've had an abortion, I want you to know there's nobody more thankful that you're at this church than me. I'm glad you're here. You know why? I don't think I'm any better than you because I know that I need the grace of God as much as anybody in the room. Let's keep going. I believe in justice. I believe in justice. I believe the movement to defund the police is one of the most ungodly and idiotic things I've ever heard in my life. If, if you're a police officer and you're here today or you're watching online, just for me, I want you to know I'm thankful for you. I appreciate what you do. I couldn't do what you do. I talked to the wife. I talked to the wife of a police officer one time, and she said, "Do you have any idea what it's like when your husband goes and leaves for work, and you have no idea whether or not he's coming back home that day? Are there bad police officers? Oh, yeah. There's bad everything. 
But we don't like, have you ever heard the phrase, throw the baby out with the bathwater? If you really boil it down, it's so disturbing. <laughs> oh my God. I just said, but I believe in justice, but I, don't, I listen, I believe in free speech. I may not agree with what you're going to say, but I'll defend your right to say it. But rioting and looting is not an expression of free speech. It's theft, it's injury, and in some cases, it's murder. Call it what it is. I believe God created male and female. I do. People tell me all the time, follow the science. I do. It's XX or XY. Genesis chapter 1 said God made them male and female. I, I believe that. And I will not back down. On the flip side, if you're transgender or it's something you're battling with, I want you at this church. There's, I love you. I might not agree with it. I might not even understand it. But instead of standing on this stage and condemning you, I would much rather have a conversation with you to understand where you're coming from and how you feel and how I can be a better pastor to you. I'm not trying to kick you out. I'm trying to pull you in. If you hear me say anything other than you are loved and welcome, listen, just listen, hate speech is not speech that you hate. You can't call it hate speech because you hate it. Hate speech is something that is meant to tear you down. Just because I might not believe exactly what you believe, just because I actually have a backbone to stand on the stage and tell you where I stand morally and politically, it does not mean that I do not want to associate with you. It does not mean that I would not stand beside you and call you a friend no matter who is looking around because at the end of the day, Jesus said we could be identified by our love for one another and just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I do not love you. You know what? You know where I learned this from? You know where I got this from? It's crazy. I got it from Jesus. When Jesus was picking his apostles, how would you, I mean, how would you love to be involved in that draft pick? We see the NFL draft, we see the NBA draft. Jesus got like the apostle draft. They're breaking it down. Well, we don't know about this Judas guy. He's really good with numbers, Bob, but we think he's got a mean streak, all right? We love Peter, but he was cussing up a storm last week. Don't know if he's going to make the cut. Oh, first round pick for Jesus, the cussing guy. <laughs> Made me feel better. Um, but Jesus is picking his apostles, and these guys were going to sit at the same table together, right? And he, there were two guys that he picked that if you look at it, it's, it's mind-blowing that he picked these guys. Now, I don't know the name of all 12 apostles, and so I, oh, I do. We're glad you're here. Um, but, like, I don't. So I, I'm so glad that it's written down in the Bible in several places. We can go and look. And this is what Mark said. He said, these are the 12 he chose. Simon, see, first-round draft pick, who he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Now, I'd have got a T-shirt 
Son, I'm a son of thunder. <laughs> Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, there's two names I want you to focus on. There are two names we don't typically focus on. The first one is Matthew. Now, for those of you from a church background, Matthew had an occupation before he met Jesus. He was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors in the day of Jesus were on the left. They were liberal. Let me pause. I'm talking about the days of Jesus. I'm not making a comparison to today. I'm just telling you, Matthew leaned left. He was more pro-government. He was more pro-get the government involved because he was making money off the government. Okay? There's another guy at the table, though. It's kind of weird when you think about Matthew being so far, you know, he's left. Simon the Zealot was on the right. Polar opposite of Matthew. He was for less government, didn't want Rome. And zealots had a nasty habit. They killed tax collectors. That's a bad habit. So Jesus took someone from the left and took someone from the right who did not agree politically, brought them to the table and said, the world's going to know that you guys belong to me by the way you love one another. And Simon the Zealot and Matthew, there was so much they could not agree on. But the one thing they could agree on is we're going to follow this man named Jesus. And over time, they had way more in common than they did different because they focused not on their differences but on the man who eventually would die on a cross and rise from the grave to pay for their sins. If they did it, so can we. <laughs> Last but not least, our outlook. Um, there's not one person in this world, in this room, or in the world, but in this room that doesn't deal with fear. All scared of different things. Different times, different things scare us. And we're, we're, we, we, we have this outlook. And, and then I don't know about you, and I've said this before, but please forgive me. But I, just re, I just love to repeat myself. Um, the more I watch the news, the more I watch the news, the more pessimistic I become about the future. I don't care what alphabet channel you watch. Fox, MSNBC, CNN, ABC, DFG, I don't care which one you watch. They all, and by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, let me just kind of put this out there. For the people on the far right, I'm talking about the far right. And the far left, I'm talking about the far left. They have something in common if you'll watch them. They try to scare the hell out of you. And don't, no, no, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And they promise you, once they present their doomsday scenario, that if you'll give them two things, your money and your vote, that that won't happen to you. Both sides are guilty. 
and they present this outlook. Listen, if I watch the news all the time, I would relapse into depression unlike anything. I, I don't watch it. I, I can't watch it. I look at websites, and I look at the major websites, and if there's a story that appears on every website, I'm like, that's worth looking at. But, but it's so slanted. And so when it comes to our outlook, I mean, can, let's just talk about what we've dealt with over the past year. First of all, COVID. Now, here's what's crazy. Our world is so crazy, we politicized a pandemic. How do you do that? So, I don't know about you, but when COVID first came out, this, is, this was my attitude. When COVID first came out, I was like, it's not a big deal. Because what we had, like, we had, like, the swine flu and the, and the bird flu and, like, the cat flu. Like, we had all these different things and stuff. And I was like, it's not going to be a big deal. And all of a sudden, started talking about more and all of a sudden talking about more. And all of a sudden, they, 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 I knew it was serious when they shut down the NCAA tournament. I was like, oh, snap. It just got real. And then, and then I started watching the news. And COVID, COVID took the life of, of people. And that's, it's tragic. It's unfortunate. Anytime somebody passes away, it's heartbreaking. But what they were saying about the disease is the hospitals were going to get overfilled. Never happened. The ICUs were going to be filled to capacity. Never happened. That people were literally going to drop dead in this. That between two and three million people were going to die. Didn't happen. But it controlled us. It controlled us to, it controlled us to the place where all of us in, in America and all over the world, we agreed to this thing called lockdowns. Now, this was stressful for everybody, unless you're, listen, the only people that love lockdowns are people that are extreme introverts, because you didn't have to change anything about your life. Everybody thought you weird, and all of a sudden, you were normal. People were calling you for advice. But COVID led to lockdowns, which stressed all of us out. Because there's some, there's some families like, I wish I could spend more time with my kids. Two weeks into lockdown, you're like, you know what? Y'all need to go by to school. We need to, we need to get these schools open. We need to get them. I don't care if you get eaten by a dinosaur on the way. We are opening the schools. And, and, and the, just these two things right here brought so much anxiety into our life because we didn't see an end. I mean, I said this before but I'll, a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. I think the lockdowns were one of the worst ideas because, because depression went up, opioid addiction went up, suicide rent went up, the divorce rate went up, domestic violence went up. It hurt us way more than, and let me just say this, let me just say this. I've heard it last week that they're talking about this new variant of COVID. I'm just putting this out there. It seems to me about once a month they come up with another variant, and I'm over it. And, and just to let you guys know where I stand on this, if the government tries to do another lockdown and they try to lock down the church, we don't participate. The doors of this church, the doors of this church will stay open because I learned in the last lockdown, we need one another. We need to worship together. We need to support one another. We need to celebrate. And so, 
I had somebody say to me, well, Perry, if you defy the law, they'll come arrest you. Well, y'all know where to find me. I'm not hard to find. And then, and then, and then we had racial unrest in our country. I've never seen it this bad. And it's almost like somebody wants us to fight. What if just Christians just said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to love my brother and I'm going to love my sister. Whoa. And then, and then, oh my God, the vaccine? I, dear God. Some people think it's the most wonderful, it's, it's this miraculous drug. And other people said, Bill Gates has given us the mark of the beast, which by the way, I, it's, if you got it, you don't have the mark of the beast. All right. Just, just calm down, Fred. You're just, you're okay. But it's added worry to us, right? Because now they're coming out with all these reports of what could happen, what's going to happen to you if you get the vaccine? You're going to develop like a, a second nose and a third ear, and 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 there's all, and then and then we got inflation. I met somebody the other day going, inflation. We ain't experiencing inflation. Have you tried to buy lumber, sir? Have you been at the gas pump? And and you got all this stuff to worry about. Now, this is just on the macro. What about the micro? Where some people have this, but you got job loss. Some people have this, but you have an addiction. Some people have this, plus you have personal anxiety. Some people have this, but you have a relationship falling apart. Some people have this, but you got a medical condition that's dominating your mind. We've got macro problems and we've got micro problems. So how in the world do we get past it? We gotta understand that no matter what is happening in our world, no matter what is happening in our life, and no matter what is happening in the White House or Congress, that we serve a God who really is in control, who really does reign. And just because things seem out of control doesn't mean he's not in control because the scriptures say, tell all the nations, the Lord reigns, the world stands firm and cannot be shaken. I promise you the political condition in our country does not worry God because he's the same God who watched Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego suffer for their political and religious beliefs and they went through a fire and came out not even smelling like what they went through because they serve a God who reigns above all. He saw Daniel thrown in the lion's den because of a political situation, but he brought Daniel through the lion's den. And if he did it for Daniel then, he'll do it for us today. He saw, listen, it was a political situation that put Jesus on a cross and he died on the cross for our sins. But three days later, the Romans couldn't hold him down. The Pharisees couldn't hold him down. The Sadducees couldn't hold him down. The Republicans couldn't hold him down. The Democrats couldn't hold him down because he got out of the grave. He reigns supreme today. He is above every single situation. He is above every single unrest. He is above every party. He is Jesus Christ and that's who we are gonna follow. No matter what our political preferences or parties are, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, stand with me as we pray. Father, thank you so much today that you reign. Thank you so much, God, that the one thing 
we can all agree on, Jesus, is that you are greater than any unrest, that you are greater than any situation, you are greater than any problem. And God, today, before we leave this place, we just wanna lift your name up. We wanna praise your name. You are the one who heals. You are the one who saves. You are the one who restores. You are the one we worship. Praise your name, Jesus, today. Praise your name in every situation. In Jesus' name, we pray. Jesus, right now, I just want to pray for every single person in this place, every person watching online that has been dominated by worry and fear over what the future may hold because we've been listening to the wrong voices. Jesus, today, may you bring peace into our lives as we listen to your voice. God, I pray for people in this room that have taken such a hard stand on an issue that they've actually driven people away. God, that today, God, that we would not forget, we are known by the way we love each other. Even though we don't see eye to eye, we still have to stand hand in hand. Father, I wanna to pray today for the person or the people in this room that know they need to receive you, Jesus, because you, you make everything better. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you're here today and you need to accept Christ in your life today, you know today you need to accept Christ, then right where you stand right now, I want you to pray with me in your heart. I just want you to pray, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just prayed to receive Christ, do me a favor, put your hand up high. Put it up real high because I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. I want to, yes, praise God, amen. Anybody else? Father, I want to thank you for uplifted hands. I want to thank you that you have changed lives. I want to thank you that you are changing lives in our church. I want to thank you, God, for every single person in this room. No matter what our age, our race, our social class, our personal political beliefs, God, thank you so much that this is a place where we don't focus on our differences. We focus on you, Jesus, a bloodstained cross, an empty tomb, and a promise that you're gonna return. God, here's the deal. You come back, we'll be ready. We love you for this, and we say this in Jesus' name. Everybody that agrees said, amen, amen. Are you glad you came to church today? I, uh, I'll see y'all back here next Sunday. God bless.